and then you go look yourself in the mirror and you say that thing to you. You know, because as a parent, you would not look at your child ever at any age and wish for them to shame themselves or hate themselves. And so it's, you know, what would you say to your best friend if you don't have kids? Or what would you say to your child if they were in this situation as, a, as an adult one day? And then show yourself the same grace and the same kindness. Hey everybody. So that was just a little tidbit from today's episode with Dr. Lisa and Brianna Elizabeth. Um, I want to let you know the title sponsor for today's episode is once again the Yatra Trauma Center here in Krabi, Thailand, where I reside. Uh, for those of you that don't know, I'm in Thailand uh, because I started my journey with a 30-day stay at the Yatra Treatment Center, and I have to say it is one of the most transformative experiences I've ever had. They practice IFS therapy, EMDR therapy, cognitive behavioral therapy. They, uh, they've introduced me to Tai Chi, yoga, mindfulness, ice baths, meditation. <laughs> the list goes on and on and on, and... They're just an absolutely amazing facility. So if you have trauma in your life that think, that you think might be holding you back, I highly suggest you check them out as a possible option. And you might just be surprised at the cost relative to pay for you know paid treatments in in North America. So check them out, guys. That's the Yatra Center, and their website is the y a t r a c e n t r e dot com. And uh, here's your show. Hello, everybody. Watchers, listeners, supporters of all kinds. Welcome to another episode of the Weekend Ramble on the Ashes to Awesome podcast. I'm your host, Chuck LaFlange, just checking in from Krabby, Thailand. Halfway around the world in Calgary, Alberta is my lovely co-host, Dr. Lisa. How are you doing today, Lisa? I am fantastic. I put my daughter to bed last night at about 7.30 or 8 o'clock, and then I woke up at 8 o'clock this morning. Oh, wow. <laughs> so it was fantastic. <laughs> Solid 12 wow. hours there. Right? Like, <laughs> I normally sleep like five or six hours a night. So every now and then I think my body gets fed up with me and does something like this. But feel good. Wow. Had a very I long, wanna, I wonderful ask, sleep. Did it, did, it, did it secretly take you six hours to get her to go to bed, though? Like, is it like did you actually get six hours of sleep in all of this? Is that what happened? Right? <laughs> <laughs> I've been in your house. I know how that goes. No, nope. right? no, there are times when this happens. <laughs> Right. Well, but when this happens, I usually fall asleep before her. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Or so I've been told. Um, and uh, so, no, like, I don't know what she did, but I was uh, asleep. And that's what matters. <laughs> you know? Right. Yeah. Absolutely. Right. Absolutely. Um, my other, my, my guest, not my you know? other guest, my, my, our guest this week is uh, Brianna Elizabeth, who is a co host on the Blacklist podcast with my good friend Jared. And they are in New York, somewhere Western New York State, I do believe. Um, how are you doing today, Brianna? I'm good. You didn't really okay. interrupt much when you called me. <laughs> so I had well, nothing going on, yeah, so I'm right. grateful to be here. Ah, good stuff. We're, we're, we're glad that you, uh, you agreed to come on on short notice. Of course, it's something that we've been wanting to do for a while, so I'm glad that it's working out the way that it is. So. Yeah. Um, Dr. Lisa, having never like heard your story, never you know there there is no exposure yet. Um, I know the things you're passionate about, and I and I I know a good chunk of your story anyway. But for context, and you know to to help the listeners along too, and to establish some credibility, why don't you give us kind of the like I said pre-recording the synopsis or the Reader's Digest version of your story so that we can get to talking about the things that we want to talk about. How's that sound? Um, well, I've. From a young age, I knew I loved drugs and alcohol, and, you know, I say that I was always using drugs until it became a problem, and then I started abusing them. Um, I became an alcoholic, an opiate addict, it, you know, and I ended my addiction using fentanyl. And what got me sober, um, I've already told Chuck this, I'll say this again, so, you know, you can hear Dr. Lisa, um, I gave my son a Band-Aid one day. And he held the Band-Aid up to the light and flicked it so the Band-Aid would move down from the top before he opened the wrapper. And I'd already been thinking about getting sober, and that was like my, mm, you need to change some stuff so your kids can have a better life. So for... That was how old was he? Three. Three. So, so for context and, and for somebody that might be listening and doesn't understand the significance of that moment... Basically, mimicking using a syringe, right? Is that that's 
what happened there with that Band-Aid package. And I think it's, an, I just think it's bag, important you know, for people when you to get a bag of drugs. You flick it. Or that too. Yeah. yeah that too. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. I, I mean, in we were doing, case, you know, none of us right? were using IV drugs. Okay. Okay. So it was we flicking would, you know, the bag. Like we'd get a bag, bag of fentanyl and you want it all down in the bottom. So you flick it and yeah. 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 No kidding. No kidding. So definitely a, a turning. Can I ask you. a few questions? Absolutely. <laughs> Of course you can. That was like the most concise version of what I'm sure is a very long story. <laughs> Good job. Um, but like, can you, so you said that you were sort of always using, like how old were you really when you started? Um, I was introduced to drugs and alcohol when I was eight, nine years old. Um, they became a daily thing in my life around probably the age 13. Um, you know, with oh. cigarettes and weed and, you know, then drinking slowly came into play. And, you know, I stopped. Like I said, I was just using drugs. So, you know, every single time I got pre- I have three kids. Every single pregnancy that I had, I would stop drinking, stop, you know, taking pills, stop doing coke, you know, no ecstasy, none of that. Like, I had clean pregnancies. It wasn't until I decided I wasn't having any more kids, which was after my son, that it absolutely consumed my life because I knew I wasn't going to have to stop again. Mm-hmm. It's kind of a sad way to think about it, but that's <laughs> how yeah. I think about it. Well, and like, because I mean, eight years old is pretty little, right? Yeah. What was kind of going on in your life that at the age of eight, you were, you know, smoking, smoking weed, whatever? Um, my mom and my dad had split. And my mom moved elsewhere, and I was living with my dad. It was me and my brother, and he worked two jobs. And I have an older sister, and that's kind of when I was introduced to her. But she was mm. older. So all the cats away, the mice will play. So my my sister just did whatever she wanted. Mm-hmm. You know, and her friends thought it was fun to, you know, pass the blunt to us or give us shots. Yeah. And was there a family history of addiction or was it more just that sort of not having great, you know, um, parental presence, kind of knowing what you're up to? I think it was, I think it was that, like, I wasn't really exposed to, I was exposed to drugs and alcohol growing up, but it was, at, at this point, it was, you know, we'd go camping every weekend and on the weekends, you know, the adults would drink. You know, now I hear stories. My parents used to buy me Barbie toys so they could use them to make, like, makeshift pipes and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. I didn't know that at the time. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, we had a basement, too, and I remember, like, there'd be an adult at the top and, you know, people at the bottom, and they literally ran a pipe down the stairs so they could, somebody, like, they were downstairs doing whatever they were doing, and whoever was watching the kids could still partake and they literally were like lighting you know a bong at the bottom Mm. and they'd hit it you know up the stairs and blow you know blow it wherever so they could still keep an eye on us wow i wasn't really aware of this stuff as a kid but now my mom does open up and tell me these stories Mm -hmm. it's like so resourceful yeah (laughs) it's like how can we do what we want to do and still keep an eye on the kids right Mm -hmm. like um yeah. Now that I'm older, I see more. Like, I came in contact with one of my cousins a few years back on my father's side, and he was a full-blown opiate addict. Um, but I think now, like, it's more my mom's side that has the addiction. Mm-hmm. But at, at that point, I wasn't exposed to stuff like some kids are. Yeah. But it's interesting, right? Because they're so... Like, I've actually had parents ask me, like, they, they'll bring their kid in who's in a psychotic state after doing drugs, and they'll, you know, say, well, how did this happen, and, you know, or why is my kid using, and, and like, I always tell people, we don't know, like, we don't know, there's not, like, one thing, you know, mm-hmm. but I always find it interesting to ask about that genetic factor, and in most cases, you can't fully weed it apart, because, you know, so if you have parents who are using substances, then there's there is potentially, you know, what we would call a family history of substance use or abuse or addiction or whatever. But then also when we have parents who are using substances, then the environment in which you grow up in 
genetics aside is also impacted, right? Whether that's neglect, whether that's modeling, whether that's poor supervision, it's like there's so, and then often a lot of trauma too, right? Um, But there's like so many layers to it. Um, Lisa, what did you mean when you said So it is sort of, it's interesting. And like in my, sorry, say again, Chuck? What did you mean when you said modeling? Modeling? So modeling is that, Yeah, modeling as in, you know, when you grow up in a household, the way your parents do things models how you should do them. And so if you grow up where your parents model fighting, then you're more likely to then have a partner and fight with them or to accept conflict in a relationship. Um, You know, if you, yeah, that that, makes sense. I I took it as the parents modeling something, but it would be you modeling their behavior is what is what that means or did am i interpreting that correctly then yeah i mean i i guess i always think of it the other way around but i don't think it really matters like to me it's no, like okay. they model for their child how to live and how to react and how to do things okay. gotcha, and then their gotcha. child will okay. then yeah okay that makes sense to me now and I, i'm sorry yeah. I, if i spoke right and so it just, is yeah okay okay yeah <clears throat> that's okay that's okay but it's always interesting, right? Like if you take, for example, in in my brother's situation, my mother grew up in a very um, difficult childhood with alcoholic parents, um, but then subsequently was raised by her aunt from about the age of, I think, 11 or 12 years old because her home life was so challenging. Um, And then because she'd grown up with abuse and alcoholic parents, she, I think, I think she, like at my parents' wedding, she drank apple juice, you know, like she was just completely swung the other way. Um, And so for us growing up, like my parents would drink like on occasions, but like even like, I don't think there's anything wrong for some people if it works for you. If you want to have a glass of wine with a meal once in a time, once in a while, go for it. Like, my parents didn't do that. Like, they they didn't drink except for special occasions or if they were out at a Christmas party or that kind of thing. Um, there was no weed. Like, they did not smoke weed. There was no drugs. But there's definitely a strong family history of addiction. And then, you know, I have a brother who did not grow up with that being modeled in the home and then has faced addiction struggles. Now there's a lot of, again, different factors you could add into that picture, but it is interesting, you know, to to just think about what kind of contributes in people's individual stories, right? And when I hear about an eight-year-old who is smoking weed, it's like, what's going on there? Like how at eight years old are you smoking weed, right? there was like other things, you know, that happened before my parents split up. And it's funny that you bring up that modeling thing because when I first got sober and really dug into, you know, why am I an addict? You know, why are some of these behaviors normal for me, even though I know they're not normal? We dug into my childhood. Mm-hmm. We really dug yeah. into my childhood and was like, okay, well, you know, you think it's okay to sit around and do this with your friends because that's what you've seen growing up. And even though you know it's not normal or okay to do this, you were shown that. So it was mm-hmm. a lot of breaking those habits and breaking those, you know, those cycles, which is another thing that makes me really grateful for, you know, my son doing that mm-hmm. and that helping me get sober because I did not want, you know, I knew what I was dealing with my childhood I didn't I don't I didn't want to pass that on to them so it was something huge that I dug into was you know how has my childhood because it doesn't stem from right here it's hey ashes the awesome listeners the following PSA is brought to you by the Phoenix the Phoenix is not just a gym it's a community where the real weight lifted is not just barbells but hearts minds and spirits whether you're in recovery or simply choose to live a sober lifestyle The Phoenix offers a range of activities from yoga to hiking, all led by people who've walked a path of transformation. So why not aim higher with the Phoenix? The first membership requirement is just 48 hours of sobriety. Rise from the ashes today and soar with the Phoenix. Hey listeners, 
Let's take a moment to talk about something crucial, carrying naloxone. This life-saving medication can reverse an opioid overdose in minutes. You might think, I don't need it, I'm not around opioids, but the truth is you'll never know when you'll be in a situation where you could save a life. It's easy to use and many places offer it for free or at a low cost. So let's be prepared and look out for each other. Remember, you might not plan on being around opioid use, but you never know when it'll be around you and you could save the life of somebody that is loved. This is Jared Blaine with the Blacklist Podcast. And remember, you are loved. It stems from three, four, five other things, you know, and it plays a huge factor still in my life today. You know, understanding my kids and, you know, modeling the right way, you know, like, I think Mm -hmm. think a lot about what I say to them and how I say things and how I handle their emotions. And, you know, it's it's important. It's really important. And I think, you know, with the day hospital program that I work at, um, which is a more therapy-based program, I will spend hours with clients where we're talking about where they're at today, what symptoms they have today, um, what we can do about the symptoms today. And then I always do one session, and sometimes it's more, but I always make sure that I preserve one session to focus entirely on childhood. And like, I will ask them everything from, you know, what their mom did during her pregnancy with them to what their temperament was like as a child. You know, like, were you an internalizer? Were you a a kid who blew up? Did you sort of sulk away and, and deal with sadness and anger by yourself? Or did you share it with people? I'll ask them to describe, tell me what your mom was like. Tell me what your dad was like. Tell me about how your mom and dad treated one another and how they, you know, um, handled conflict. Um when you did things as a child, how did your parents react to you? Like if you were sad, if you made a mistake, like what were, what were their reactions to those things? And inevitably, I would say, I, and I don't like to use the words never and always, and, but almost always, it's like that one session takes all the other sessions and just goes, whoom. And it's like, aha, okay, now we've got it. And when I can then present it back to a patient and say, so what you're telling me or what I'm hearing and tie it together, you can see like light bulbs going off. And it's like, I've had people say to me, like, it all makes sense now, you know? And they're probably like some of my favorite moments with patients because I think people, no matter your level of insight, people, we're always trying to understand ourselves. Like, we're like, why am I doing this? Or why am I doing that? Or why do I react this way? And without guidance and education on that particular thing, most of us have no idea. And then when you can work with somebody who can help you put it together and suddenly things make sense to you, I just feel like I see people, it's almost like the weight of, of it gets lifted and things become clear. I ran away from my therapist for six months the first time we made that breakthrough. <laughs> we made that breakthrough and I, you know, we connected the dots in a session and I did not see her for six months. So I'm like, mm, I don't know if I can do this. <laughs> right. you know, so it can be really hard for some people because, you know, it's not like, you know, you're saying that your parents were bad people. No. Not at all. They did what they did. They did what they knew because it most likely stems from other people. But it's just, for me, it was, even though now, like, sitting at, you know, my age, I can see, you know, my parents and their faults and stuff like that. Like, going back to your childhood and picking that apart mm-hmm. can be a lot. <laughs> yeah, I agree. And I think it's our nature to protect our parents, right? It doesn't matter how good or bad our parents are. I think inevitably children, no matter the age, want to protect their parents. And for that reason, I always preface those sessions with that exact conversation. That I, you know, nobody is good or bad, right? We are all 10 million shades of gray. and that I do believe everybody does the best they can with what they know. And that includes us and it includes our parents. And, you know, just reassuring people that what we're trying to do is understand how 
the person in front of me. It's like how you've come to be who you are today. It's not about blaming, um, you know, our parents. And I'll say to people, I could sit here with your mom and we could do this with your mom and understand why your mom did all the things she did. Like all of us do what we do um, for a good reason. Yeah. Right? And I think it was it was validation too. Sorry, the fan, <laughs> the fan was blowing good. in my face and it made my eye burn. So I rubbed it and I forgot I had mascara on. <laughs> um, I think it was it was scary too to get that validation mm-hmm. that it wasn't all my fault. It's not their fault, but I, you know, I wasn't messed up like I thought. You know, there were mm-hmm. outside factors that contributed to it that I did not have control of. Mm-hmm. And I think that was, you know, I think that's those six months I thought about it, <laughs> you know, and wow. it was just getting that validation and accepting it and working through it. Mm-hmm. I find that super interesting because I I bet you that happens for a lot of people, but I haven't had anybody describe it. And I find that really interesting because I think people often go through long periods of time or situations or whatever, and it becomes normal and comfortable to blame themselves, right? That's what they're comfortable with. It's like, I'm like, I'm shit. I'm bad. Um, It's all my fault. And even though for me as an outsider, I'm like, well, that sounds really terrible. Like that sounds like a terrible place to be. But if that's what you're comfortable doing, because it's what you've been doing, then the minute someone comes in and rocks that boat a little bit and leaves you going, okay, wait a minute, is this not all my fault? Um, I could see how that would bring up like just lots of emotions and even be scary because it's not, it's not familiar anymore. And that was the other thing, too. Like, I had to fight. You know, I was in my rehab meeting with my counselor. They had to fight with me to go see a therapist and tell me that I have I have control problems. I like to be in control. I'm well aware of that. That is something that I've learned. Um, you know, and they told me, you are in control of the conversations. You are not going to be talking about anything that you don't want to talk about. Yeah. So she was asking those leading questions and that stuff came up and I was just like, whoa, no, like (laughs) not something I want to talk about, but I needed it, you know, and it took Mm -hmm. a while to realize, especially because like I don't really have a relationship with my father. I do forgive him and he is where he is. And I would not have gotten to that point if I didn't work through my childhood Mm -hmm. and realize that those were also learned behaviors for him yes you know no doubt that's that's what it took for me to forgive him and just realize Mm -hmm. that it's it's not going to be any different you know and you know when just with even the little that you've shared with us it's like if you anyone can imagine this like if you're a little kid and you don't have a lot of parental supervision A kid may not recognize that in the moment, but that's scary to a child, right? Children want certainty, they want security, um, and they want predictability. And so when you don't have a lot of parental supervision, a kid doesn't have those things. So they try to compensate by being in control, you know, as much as a child can be. But so it's not really a surprise that then you grow up to be somebody who wants to be in control. Because as a kid, that was probably what you did to make yourself feel safe in the world. You want to hear another whammy? Yeah. I only lived with my father for a couple months after the split up. Then I moved in with my mom and did not see my father again until I was 14. Wow. So that was just such a short period. But like you said, it had such an impact on who I am today, even though it was just a couple months. Yeah. I'm trying to yeah. find something to wipe my tears with. <laughs> and I can't find anything. <laughs> <laughs> and I feel bad because I feel like we're not really responding. Like, I'm like, is it a fan blowing in your face? Are you emotional? No, because it was a minute our ago. Video. It was a fan. <laughs> okay. <laughs> if you wipe them up, Brianna, if you wipe them up, it's sweat. 
That's that's how that works, right? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, oh, okay. Okay. So it's like this. Oh. Okay, I'm sweating. I'm just sweating yes, guys. Yes, yes, see, I'm not crying, you're crying, right? Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So, you know. But yeah, it was, you know, like my dad is raising my sisters. Did raise my sisters. Is there for their kids. And I can't sit here and live with that anger that I didn't get that. Mm-hmm. It's not going to change it. You're allowed <laughs> to feel it, though. That's You're just it, right? It, you know, the only thing. Right? And it's, and totally. And, and to have that validated, yeah. too, I think, Brianna, is important, right? But, you know, and, and, and I hope that you do get that, from, if not from yourself, from, from, from your partner or from whoever else. But you need to validate that anger because it's you're allowed to feel that. And I right? had an amazing stepfather. You know, the the man that my mom and, ended and up marrying side, right? was amazing. You know, you know and, and that's old awesome. Right? Italian taught yeah. us a lot. Yeah, yeah. And I and, here's I try to have a relationship with him, but because his relationship with my mom ended so badly, he does not want a relationship with me. Mm. So there's another hurt. <laughs> and do you have uh, like other siblings that are same mom and dad? Yes, my brother. Okay, but not your sisters. Yeah, not my sisters. They're just dad, different mom. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, yeah. And I my mean, it is. Grew up in the same environment, and this guy has never smoked cigarettes. He, he's a like a casual drinker. You know, like he'll pair his drinks with his food. Mm-hmm. You know, like he'll drink, in, you know, a nice IPA with his dinner or he'll make, you know, drinks at home. So, you know, that's something else, you know, that I try to help him with. And he understands. Mm-hmm. And it's just, it's it's weird, you know, looking at that dynamic that we both grew up in the same household, same environment, and two totally different lives. Yeah. But, you know, again, you grow up. If you if you ask, put two people in a room and do something to them and then take them into separate rooms and ask them to tell you what just happened, the stories will never be the same. Oh, absolutely. You know what I mean? And so it's like our perspective on something is always unique. And because I agree, like, I feel like I see that a lot. I, I live that too, is like, you know, you grow up in the same house with the same parents, but you know, we, everybody individually still has a lot of unique experiences and those experiences create different lenses through which we experience everything else in our life. And so, you know, people definitely have unique reactions to, to the same situation. And that's another thing I learned, you know, like I've, I thought it was just, you know, trauma that I went through and stuff like that. I've always been an emotional person. Mm Mm-hmm. I've always been expressive with my emotions and explosive with my emotions since mm-hmm. I was a little kid. Yeah. You know, and that's been something that I worked long and hard to help mm-hmm. help me process that internally instead of externally on everybody else around me. You yeah. know, taking accountability for how I react because I don't have to pass that on to my kids. Mm-hmm. So. And- like what you're describing is temperament, right? And like we're born with our temperament. We're not born with our personalities. Our personalities evolve um, as a function of modeling and experiences, but we're born with temperament. And different temperaments are going to be predisposed to the evolution of different personality traits based on experiences. And so temperament's like a really important thing to understand about a person because it it says a lot about how they can evolve, right? But, you know, I have a little girl who's similar, right? I mean, she came out of the womb screaming and she's been screaming ever since. Like, you know, she's a she's a it's true, though, isn't it? Like it really is. You know, she's I mean, old I and she's feisty and yeah. The only experience yeah. I've had with your with your daughter, Doctor Lisa, is that picture with her and Chuck on on Messenger. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> it says a lot, right? Yeah. Um, but again, she has that temperament, and 
if you have a psychologically minded parent and you know you don't need to be a therapist or a psychiatrist you just need to be psychologically minded but when somebody has strong emotions a, a huge um, important thing raising those people is validating their feelings because people who are outward with their emotions if they don't feel heard they'll turn the volume up for you they're like no i'm upset and you don't get it so let me get more upset yep. and you know so it's really important and the problem is is that particularly i think you see this even more so generationally as you go back <laughs> anyway um, but like curiously, Brianna, like again, when you were a little kid and you would have big emotions, did you get validated? Did you have people stop and say, I can see you're upset or I can see no. you're really mad? Like, no. you know, what's that like for you? My mom was one of those kids are to be seen and not hurt. Now, here's where the flip side is, even though, you know, I wasn't raised around my dad and now today I see the environment that my sisters were raised in and I am appreciative for the environment that I was raised in my dad lets kids be kids you know he sits and, down and he'll talk to them and stuff like that so you know and that's, nope, I was that's raised in a Brianna, kids are to um, be seen I, not heard I can a big parallel to that very different my little brother is 12 years our junior to my twin brother and I so we're raised in very very different households right my mom you know, remarried my stepdad, who was just this incredible guy when we were like six. Um, and so by the time, you know, Levi came around, it was another six years after that. And he was just raised in a totally different environment than we were. And, and I, I'll never speak ill of mom and all, all those things, but just, it was a very different place. My brother and I were both chip on our shoulders, kids for whatever reason. And I don't know, that's not something I've ever really delved into. And but I remember looking at him and at times, and I'm sure you felt this, Brianna, at times being a little like resentful at that, but having to bring myself to check in and go, I'm so happy that he doesn't have that chip on his shoulder, you know, the way I did, yeah. right? And, for, and I'm just, and just to bring yourself to a place where you can just be happy for them without harboring resentments about it, it can be tough to do because we're fucking human. Mm -hmm. Right, and it's and it's, so. Mm -hmm. Can you relate to that experience? I, and I'm sure you, I'm sure you can. You kind of, you yeah. kind of just it describe was it. Going, you know, yeah. working through my childhood and with the therapist and stuff like that, and realizing that you know it is what it is, and you know, accepting things for how they happened. But yeah, yeah no, I am grateful for my sisters. They still, you know, they there's still issues in the house, but they were allowed to be kids and express their emotions and work through things and mm -hmm. I'm happy for them for that. I have a great relationship with my sisters, even though we didn't grow up around each other, you know it's, so yeah, no, I even my brother you know, it's weird because we were raised in the you know, kids are to be seen and not heard you could, the kids when we go to my brother's house run around the house, do whatever you want be as loud as you want mm -hmm. you know, and I let my kids do that too you know, because I don't want them to have that. Mm -hmm. You know, what's the thing? I think we always try to just do a little bit better than what was, you know, what we experienced. You know, we're not perfect. Um, no, you know, no. we screw yeah, up all the parents, time. But like, uh, what day was it? Your forty years ago, right? And your parents have grown in that forty years too, right? They're, you know, what I mean. So of course they're going to be different with their grandkids <laughs> and their, you know, you don't think. If, well, no. If, you see, if my mother didn't question her parenting at some point during the shit show that my brother and I, my twin brother and I both, in our own ways, have have like like, and we've both been complete shit shows. If she didn't question her parenting at some point in there, she wouldn't be a human being, <laughs> right? Like she she just wouldn't be. Yeah. Right. So you're going to learn from that experience. It's rare. Too, like, like I feel you know? like I've seen. Go ahead. Yeah. I've seen really narcissistic people who don't question their parenting um, <laughs> because they are yeah. so narcissistic that there's yeah. like, well, 
I'm not doing anything wrong. All these problems are them, not me. But it's rare. Yes. I think most people do question um, their parenting. One thing, though, is I think in our parents' generation, even though I'm sure they questioned it, I don't think they were vocal about it. And I think even today, a lot of people aren't. But I think that sharing that we recognize we've made mistakes, sharing that we we don't have it all figured out is really powerful for kids, you know? Oh, a few days yeah. ago, I got <laughs> super upset with my daughter and yelled at her. Um, and, you know, after I calmed myself down, I went and I apologized to her. I mean, again, like, I don't think in our parents' generation, how often do our parents apologize to us? You know, I had <laughs> like, good parents. I don't, I don't remember wrong. a lot Once, of that. Like, like, it had to have happened once where you, where you were wrong, right? Mathematically over the course of like 15 years, right? No. <laughs> no you were right every single time. Yeah. Right? You would think yeah. that was impossible, but yeah, here we are, right? But, you know, but it's like, a, but apologizing, <laughs> like apologize to your kids. Like if you screw up, apologize. Just like when they screw up, we want them to apologize. And like I went and I said, I'm sorry I yelled at you. And she said to me, she said, it's okay, mom. And I said, it's not actually okay. Like, hopefully you forgive me, but it's not okay for me to yell at you like that. And so I have to work on that, you know? And I think being transparent being transparently human with our kids is a huge gift um, yeah. because it's like show them that you make mistakes, share vulnerability, um, take accountability, and all of that kind of comes with a simple, transparent conversation when we screw up as parents. Um, and there's a lot of modeling in that for our children. Yeah, right? Yeah, I ended up taking this is how deep I dived into everything. I took a parenting class. So I could help, you know, myself with my kids, mm -hmm. you know, because I did it wrong for so many years, you know, and that was part of my healing from my addiction. And I learned, I got validation from that parenting class, you know, that I was doing stuff right. And I got some tips on how to do some things better. Mm -hmm. So yeah, some of us learn on our own and some of us need a little help. <laughs> Yeah. I feel like we probably all day, need so a long as you're not but... letting them listen to Taylor. <laughs> listen, listen, at the end of the day, as long as you're not letting your kids listen to Taylor Swift, you're raising good kids. Right? Because that's that's what good parenting is all about. <laughs> oh, no. No. That was Jared I bringing me my coffee. It. I had to say it. I'm sorry. I'm sorry I'm not sorry. I don't know if Brianna gets the context of that, but you know. I do and I ignored it. Okay. <laughs> yeah. And see so Chuck, it's funny, you know, like you say, you know, like you know, your mom is raising your brother different. Mike, mm -hmm. I want my kids was to have raising like he's a, he's a grown ass man now. Because mine, way, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. So anyway, um, <laughs> um, I didn't really have my grandparents. They passed away at a young age for me. Mm -hmm. So I want my kids to have that. Yeah. But my mom is still, even with the grandkids, you were to be seen and not heard. Mm. Yeah, that's unfortunate. So I do limit those interactions mm -hmm. you know mm -hmm. yeah. and my son my son right. is a boy he's really rambunctious he's loud he wants you have to keep him busy so like my daughter like my, my daughters can spend the night at my mom's house my son can't yeah. mm -hmm. yeah. I will not leave my son alone with my mom because I have control issues <laughs> but I also don't want you know I don't want those same things to happen to him of course you don't. And like one thing I would challenge you to do is that when you tell yourself you have control issues, add on in your mind for a reason. Yeah. Yeah. It's there's there a for reason. a reason. Oh, yeah. You know, there's a reason. Yeah. You're not like faulty. Um, there's a reason well, that you do what you do. Like, right? Thanks, Chuck. Can't help it. Can't I know. Help it. Yeah. Um and I do think, you know, if this is gonna be like unique to every parent um, and also I think it depends a bit on the child's age but I think also like things like having open conversations about the fact that you know what like grandma's not perfect and there's some things grandma does that you know are different than the way we do them at home um, and it's just you know that's just kind of the way grandma is can also help kids be around the grandparents and because they're going to notice like if they go to their grandparents house and like grandma behaves very differently than you or grandma gets mad about things you don't get mad about they notice it so again it's like just 
just have an open conversation because like pretending they're not going to notice is we're all kidding ourselves. Like they notice a lot more than we give them credit for. And so I think the way I explain it to them, you know, because it's normal for, you know, other environments is there's different rules at different houses. Yeah. You know, yep. this person, this is their rules when we go to their house. This is this person's rules when we go to their house. And, you know, it's, he listens to it, but his, his impulses get the best of it. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Yeah. Because he does so, live in a safe home. You know, it's, right. it's hard to shut that off for a little bit, you know. And so you said you have three kids. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And during your time of you like using were they ever taken from you or are they always with you i always had them okay and i looked out i've i've gotten my two strikes and i will never mess up again mm. but what was that like like trying to because i just think like i find parent i only have one kid and like i find it challenging a lot of the times and that's with a clear head you know like what what was that like for you parenting three kids while dealing with all those other things. I don't know. I was so high that I just mm. tuned everything out. Mm. I was there, but I wasn't I wasn't there. There was a lot of yelling, yeah. you know, a lot of me not like really interacting with them. And it just, you know, go be a kid. You know, I'll I'll feed you, I'll make sure you you know, you're clean. But beyond that, you know, like, we'd go out and do fun stuff. Like, I didn't say, you know, I wasn't, you know, we stayed in the house all the time. But I was always so high or drunk that I don't mm. think I really parented them. You yeah. know, I was just an adult in the house to make sure they were alive. Mm. And then what were their ages when you got sober? I've been sober for four years. And I have a 13, so she was nine, um, six, and three. Nine, six, and three. Okay. And then, like, when you got sober, what was that like for the kids? Like, particularly your older kids. Like, did they ask questions? Did they talk about, you know, what it was like for them when you were using? Or um, no, I think they just pointed out, you know, that I was different. Mm. You know, mom. And this still, I'll probably cry when I say this, but they'd be like, Mama, you're being nice. Hmm. You know, and it's, they don't say that anymore because I'm nice now, but Mm -hmm. it was a lot of, Mama, you're being nice. Mama, you're being nice. Mm -hmm. So, and even though that hurt, that reminded me that I was (laughs) doing the right thing. Yeah. So, and we are. Hopefully, um, it reminded you that you're a good person. Yeah. You know, oh, that yeah. the, the real you um, is nice. Me and Jared, so I could stop crying, um, his kids, you know, dealt with him being an addict too. So we're actually going to this summer and we're, I'm going to try, I'm working with a couple other people that have kids, but they're going to sit down with us first before they allow us to sit with their kids. But um, we sat down with somebody recently that struggles with mental health like strong you know he's had a couple attempts of taking his life and his daughter's 11 and I asked him I'm like have you ever sat down with her and talked to her about like what she understands about you or mental health in general he goes she's 11 she doesn't deal with that hmm yeah right I wasn't arguing with him it just made me think you know me and Jared this summer we're going to start with our kids sitting on the couch and we're going to set a camera up and we're going to ask them, you know, because they do struggle with mental health. Mm-hmm. You know, they do have daily struggles that they deal with. You know, what do you understand about mental health and what do you understand about addiction? So we can bring that awareness to that our kids know. Oh, yeah. You know, they know. So... You know, I had a, an 11-year-old girl over at my house the other day, and my daughter had reacted to her brother, and the little girl goes, that was her fight or flight. And I look at wow. her, and I'm like, <laughs> you know, but that validated too, you know, so we're going to start sitting down with, you know, 
children, obviously with their parents' permission, um, to see what they do understand. You know, yeah. so we can let parents know, like, they know. They know what's going on. And they notice that difference. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's an oversimplified statement to come out of my mouth, but anybody watching this who thinks their kids don't know, you're wrong. <laughs> like, oh, absolutely. They know. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, and it doesn't matter how prudish your household may be um, because they go to school and they talk to other kids and you know I am not to so to become a child and adolescent psychiatrist you do uh, like a sixth year of residency in a fellowship program so I have not done that um, during like a regular psychiatry residency program we do have to do child and adolescent training um, so I've you know done psychiatric work at the Children's Hospital in Calgary I have spent time on the um, child psychiatry unit at the Children's Hospital these are like little kids um, and then I've also spent time on the adolescent unit at the Foothills Hospital. Um, kids know. Yeah. And if you're sticking your head in the sand, then you need to pull it out. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. And see, that's something, you know, like he explained, like his wife doesn't deal with it that much. And, you know, he'll be dealing with his issues and he won't see his daughter for the weekend. And sometimes <sighs> he'll go months without seeing her. And that's why I asked him that question. Have you ever spoken to her to see what she understands? Like, he was all over the news. He was a cop. He was locked inside his house with all his guns. Like, he went through a huge thing when she was older. This was just two years ago, so she was nine. And if he really thinks, I let him, okay, I wasn't going to argue with him. But it did make me realize that there needs to be more of an awareness. Right. And two, like when kids don't know, they will create a narrative, mm -hmm. right? So if you think that just being secretive or, you know, not talking about it is doing your kid a favor, they have wild imaginations and they will fill in they the do. gaps with whatever narrative they want. And to be honest, a lot of times the narrative is worse than the reality. And so, you know, I do agree that things need to be done in a, in a manner that is suitable based on a child's age. Um, you know, I don't think you divulge all the dirty details to a five-year-old. Yeah. Um, but I think, yeah, starting with the what do you know about this or what do you think is going on or whatever, and then helping them fill in the gaps so that they don't allow their imagination to do it for them. And that's, yeah. you know, I absolutely agree with you there. Everything is age appropriate, you know, but you still can explain it to a child at mm -hmm. any age, you know, yep. when they're dealing with, what did you call it before they're, what are we born with? Temperaments. Temperaments. <laughs> yep. You know, we can explain those temperaments to our kids and help them work through mm -hmm. them and process them as yep. a child as opposed to an adult. Yeah. You know, I think that's so important. Yeah, and I think, you know, it's funny because we're an addictions podcast and we're actually talking a lot about, like, just personalities and temperaments and, you know, stuff like that. But it's so important because, you know, especially you take people who have, um, well, actually, I wouldn't even say that. If you have that more explosive temperament, you know, and you're not getting the validation you need, then kids don't have good coping skills, Right they need to be taught coping skills. So if they're not taught coping skills um, and then they're exposed to substances that takes the edge off this explosiveness or kind of dampens it or whatever it might be for them, they're going to be more likely to enjoy that feeling. You know, yeah. similarly, if you have a kid who's an internalizer, they're quiet, they suppress it, they squish it down. Um, that stuff all builds up internally. So again, when they find substances, it's also a release. So I do think there's like such a, like it can all be drawn together. You know, does this mean that every kid with either of these extreme temperament styles is going to go on and struggle with addiction? No. Yeah. Um, but I think that it's just another thing that what can we be doing for our children so that they don't seek out or enjoy the coping that comes with drugs, right? And it's like, 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 sorry, go ahead. 
but it's just yet to make sure like that they're seen and that they're heard and that we have these conversations and we have open dialogue and we validate them. Um, it's, it's just another thing as a parent that you can do with a young child or with a child of any age that I think decreases the likelihood that drugs are going to be what they're looking for. And I don't even think like on the path of drugs, like it helps them be open with you. You know, yeah. if we're having these conversations with our kids at such a young age and we can have a back and forth understanding age appropriate conversation with mm -hmm. our children. If they do start struggling, you know, they might they'll be more inclined to speak to either a parent or a mm -hmm. friend or another adult because they feel safe, mm -hmm. you know. So it's... Agreed. I don't know if, did I, I can't remember now if this came up a few weeks ago in the podcast somehow, um, but it was something that mm. I saw posted on Instagram. Um, I can't remember by who. And I just thought it was such a brilliant idea. Like my little one is almost at the age where I could do it. Like she's starting to write a little bit, but certainly if you've got like kids who can write and spell and whatever, is that you get a notebook and this notebook is for one purpose. And so if there is something they wanna tell you or ask you or whatever, they write it in this notebook and they put it under your pillow. And the agreement is that as the parent, you will never bring up the topics in that notebook verbally, but you will write them back in the notebook, you know, um, based on whether they're asking you a question or they're sharing something with you, like you will write them back and you will put it under their pillow. And it's just this, this very safe space where they can tell you or ask you anything and know that unless they choose to bring it up in face-to-face -face verbal conversation, that you will not, which will probably be very difficult, right? There might be certain things that go into that notebook that are you're just like, oh, how do I not have a conversation? Um, but I just thought like just another super simple, cheap thing that as a parent we can do to just make sure that they know there's always a way they can tell us things and that we're not going to react or, you know, Whatever it might be. I think I'm gonna I'll start that with my daughter today. Does that sound yeah, like she I'm does like sometimes a... like she'll leave me little notes, you know, like before she goes to school, she'll leave me a little note on the end table. And then she'll just ask after school if I've seen it and I'm like, Yeah, do you wanna talk about it? And she's like, No. I'm like, Okay. Yeah. You know, yeah. I read it. Yeah. You know, and I so hard was... to not, you know, create mm -hmm. conversation when they don't want to, but I think it is so important, right? Like, I might have to leave the house sometimes to avoid engaging in that conversation, like, because I think it would be hard, but I think it's just such a cool, um, cool idea. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That is a really neat idea. Mm -hmm. That helps us understand our kids' thoughts, too, you know, and how they're processing stuff. Mm -hmm. and like you said, you know, like, we're not going to talk about what they wrote, but then we can understand ourselves more, too. Mm -hmm. because we aren't being reactive we have to you know yeah. compose our thoughts totally. before we respond you know and that helps with adults too you mm -hmm. know responding to other adults and you know in situations everywhere yeah i love that's that a help um, for everyone. ladies um we've come up on an hour here rather quickly um which is it's unfortunate yeah. because there's so much more to talk about we never even come close <laughs> to talking about the things that we had planned on and that's fine because I think this episode is just as <laughs> if not more valuable right um, I, I think there's a lot to be uh, a lot to be learned from this episode there's a lot of people can, can take from it so um, with that said Brianna I'll start with you and then we'll move on to Lisa with this I got just one more question each for you guys um, Brianna if you're talking to the mother or a mother who is suffering an addiction and guilt and shame are what they are, right? They're guilt and shame. What do you say to that person as they consider getting into recovery or in early recovery about all the things that they must be feeling in the moment? Say the same thing I'll always say. No matter how many bridges you've burnt, that bridge to recovery is always there. 
mm-hmm. and it, it is filled with love and acceptance on the other side you know no matter what you're feeling or what you're going through there is somebody on the other side that will understand you and will validate you you know your your feelings are valid that's what I tell people all the time your feelings are valid nobody else has to understand them but they're valid it's beautiful somebody once said to me a long time ago you are entitled to every single emotion you have and I just and I did I think about that often and I actually just randomly kind of off topic threw that line back at her 20 years later a couple months ago she had posted we hadn't talked in probably mm-hmm. 15 years and she had posted something she's having a really hard time and I said you know somebody once said to me <laughs> I was able to just throw her own line back <laughs> Lisa same question goes to you what would you say through, through your lens yeah so to a parent who is struggling with addiction and feeling a lot of yeah, shame about recovery. how it's impacted yeah. their parenting yeah or early recovery you know they're yeah yeah same thing really right one thing I love to say to parents in general is what would you say if this was your daughter how would you speak to your daughter if she found herself in this situation 20 years from now and then you go look yourself in the mirror and you say that thing to you you know because as a parent you would not look at your child ever at any age and wish for them to shame themselves or hate themselves. Mm -hmm. And so it's, you know, what would you say to your best friend if you don't have kids? Or what would you say to your child if they were in this situation as as an adult one day? And then show yourself the same grace and the same kindness. Wow. Yeah. I love that. It's important. I absolutely love that. well, that does bring us to my favorite part of the show. As we know, that's the daily gratitudes. So let's start with you, Brianna. What you got for us to do the gratitudes? I am, with this conversation, I am grateful for my kids and their enthusiasm for their lives every day. It's wonderful. So, yep. Lisa, what you got for us today? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think it's on my mind now because we talked about it, but I'm grateful to have a little human being who sees me through a bright light, even at my worst, who will forgive me when I screw up. Um, And yeah, she, Alexis is like the joy of my life, you know, like I always wanted to be a mom. I became a mom much later in life. I did not have an easy time becoming a mom. Um, And so I'm just grateful for her um, today. that's, That's beautiful. Um, for myself, it's you know what it's it's today's you, Brianna, for showing up at last minute and not just showing up, <laughs> yeah. but having a hell of a conversation, right? Just like a, a really fantastic conversation. You can tell I think it's a great one if I'm not talking much, right? And I just to sit here and listen <laughs> to you two moms talk and you know through your different lenses and I, it's just been a beautiful talk and I'm really glad that you were able to show up and help us out with that. So thank you very much. Right? Yeah. Like, like you um, said, it wasn't also, a conversation we planned, but it happened. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. I'm also very grateful to every single person who continues to like, watch, listen, comment, share, subscribe, hit all the buttons down at the bottom. Every time you do any one of these things, you are getting me a little bit closer to living my best life, and that is to continue making a humble living, spreading the message. The message is this. If you're in active addiction right now, today could be that day. Today could be the day that you start a lifelong journey. Reach out to a friend. Reach out to a family member. Call into detox. Go to a meeting. Go to church. Pray. I don't care. Do whatever it is you need to do to get that journey started because it is so much better than the alternative. And if you have a loved one who's suffering an addiction right now, I'm just taking the time to listen to this enlightening conversation. Can you just take one more minute out of your day and text that person? Let them know they're loved. Use the words. You are loved. That little glimmer of hope just might be the thing that brings them back. Very good job, ladies. Very, very good job. My body's getting cold. My life is running low. Fill me for.
okay I'll find you another day And I'm not scared to go It will be okay I'll find you another way And I'm not scared to go Because Cause when I die